Welcome action fans, and thanks for joining us for another edition of All 90s Action All The Time, as we reach the conclusion of our 90s still alone season. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Murphy, and on today's episode, we are going to be talking about 1997's Copland. And who do I mean by we? Well, of course, I mean my regular co-host. You know who he is. He's a screenwriter. He's one-third of the Bloodhound Picks podcast. And he is a man who would never stand for corruption in his town. It's Mr. Craig Draheim. I can't hear you, Scott. But that's not all. (laughs) As for this episode, we've also got a very special guest in the form of the director of the critically acclaimed A Ghost Waits. It's Mr. Adam Stovill. Nice to be back, Scott. How you doing? Good, good, good. And you, Adam? I'm well. I, I just realized I said nice to be back, but I haven't technically been on this podcast before. No, so no, nice man. to be for, here for the first time, Scott. For, <laughs> for listeners who might not be aware, I have another podcast. It's called New Horror Express. And that podcast has a spin-off series, The Guilty Pleasures Podcast. And Adam has been on many of them. He's been on four editions of that series so far. But nice to have you back, kind of. Um, <laughs> we all exist in the same universe. It's just, it's, it's all interconnected. Um, this right. is the, the Frasier to my podcast, <laughs> Cheers. I don't know. <laughs> so before we break down this one, a little bit of background detail for you. As always, Cotland was released on August 15th, 1997. It was written and directed by James Mangold, whose notable credits include Logan, Walk the Line, Girl Interrupted, and a bunch of other stuff. Review-wise, it is currently sitting at 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb, which is a season high, 75% on Rotten Tomatoes, based on 63 reviews, 64 on Metacritic, based on 21 reviews, and a 3.5 on Letterboxd. Box office wise, the film made $63.7 million off a $15 million budget, which is pretty decent, but was seen as a disappointment by Miramax, who were looking for another Pulp Fiction sized hit. Finally, before we get into this, we, yes, we know. The idea of this what? being a Pulp Fiction esque anything is very yeah. funny to me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a, fair, that's a fair point. <laughs> So finally, before we get into this one, yes, we know including this movie on our action podcast is kind of a cheat and it doesn't really count as an action film. But as friend of my other show, when we've already mentioned New Horror Express, Abe Goldfarb said it's an urban western with a shootout at the end, so it does count. So there we go. Abe has laid down the law. It counts, okay? There you go. <laughs> if we want to start out on a series or end on a, a series high instead yeah. of... Well, and also, I mean, if we're going to talk about Stallone in the 90s, like, I feel like this is a very, like, essential entry because they really thought he was going to get an Oscar for this. That was a... I mean, I, I remember... I saw this opening night in the theater and I remember, like, all of the kind of hubbub about, around it was his performance and, like, him, do, him doing a capital A acting job and, like, oh, now we're going to get, you know, Stallone's finally going to get his Oscar, which was a v- deeply weird thing to hear at the end of the 90s when it's like, yeah. really? Cobra needs an Oscar? Like... <laughs> 
you know, there was, there was a lot of years between Rocky and this, let me tell you. <laughs> 20 to be exact, actually. <laughs> And what we've seen with this season is like, it's definitely him, tr- at least up until this, yeah, it's been him trying to break away from, I know Scott's mentioned it a lot in the previous episodes, the one man army, but then they kind of divert back to him still being the one man army or the hero at the end. Yeah. So it's like him trying to show range, but then ultimately not where then with this one, I, I don't know, it works he is the deeply American ideal of a good guy with a gun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a, and like James Mangold's obviously a big fan of Westerns. Mm-hmm. It's all of his influences on in this movie, as well as cop dramas, is Westerns. I mean, he even said in an interview himself, um, kind of looking back on the, the, the movie, he says it's a Western movie template onto what you might call a 1970s Sydney Lumet film. So essentially, it's like it's like Sheen mixed with you know Serpico is is what he's <laughs> it's what he's made. Well, and like I mean, I try to never watch a movie with like a modern a, 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 a movie with a modern perspective from like many years yeah. ago. But like watching this, it, it's totally a cab the movie. <laughs> you know, it's just like all cops are bastards. The film. <laughs> it's just like all right, this is interesting. <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah. reluctant to go too far into that ideal before we even start talking about the yeah. plot so <laughs> but yeah yeah it was just it was you know it's an interesting movie because like it really does view the police as inevitable you yeah. know as, as opposed to just like a thing that happened you know and like a, a decision that we make socially or culture wise like it is just like well there have to be police despite like the premise of the film like they like all these cops move into a town and then have to have a police department that they absolutely do not want policing them. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is interesting. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And like, um, apparently this comes, there's a kind of autobiographical element to this because like Mangold grew up in a town in the Hudson Valley that it was kind of like this. It had lots of kind of cops in it and stuff like that. Um, not living in uh, New York, New York. Like, the, you know, I, one of the five boroughs anyway yeah i mean this is definitely and i'll say the secret phrase that we talked about a little bit before recording but um it's one that feels because i know we'll get into it more since there's so many ideas and so many i've just realized what you mean by the secret phrase yeah (laughs) (laughs) um since there's so many ideas and so many kind of plots that then go nowhere um it feels so much like it should either be, I don't know, there should be more to it. Like it's trying to cram a lot into or create this whole community within, well, the version that we watched the, what, an hour and 40? Yeah. Hour and 44. Yeah. So like we all watched the theatrical cut of the movie. There is a director's cut of the movie that is like um, 116 minutes. It's like 12 minutes longer. Yeah. And like how much of that is just like a triumph of casting because, you know, our like would we care as much about Rose were she not played by Kathy Moriarty? No. You know? Like for, I mean Robert De Niro's character does not need to be in this movie yeah. at all. But it's Robert De Niro, so yeah. it's like, oh, it's one of the biggest characters. And it's like, yeah. but he doesn't actually do anything. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. But I, I think that's part of like um you know, like there's I suppose each director has like their own talents of like, you know, like 
Tarantino is good at all that kind of flashiness and, and like certain, you know, and is that kind of crisp dialogue and all that kind of stuff. And I think like one of Mangold's um, key talents is like working with actors. Because like, yeah, I, yeah. I think like often his movies, uh, you know, like there's certain directors that the look of the movie is what you remember the most yeah. or the, yeah. you know, you know, or what, you know, or directors who write their own material and, the, and it's the dialogue you remember the most or, or whatever it is, or the, the way it's kind of cut together or, you know, but like most of Mangold's movies, I feel like the thing you remember is like a particular performance yeah. in the movie. Uh, like you know like girl interrupted has like one of angelina jolie's best performances mm -hmm. you know yeah. and logan has one of hugh jackman's best performances and like they are they're kind of all most of his films seem to be kind of actors films mm -hmm. well i know from the director's cut um i mean it's been you probably haven't seen a year or whatever but it feels a little more like there's more of a build to it i remember i think mm. i felt like de niro pops up a few more times i think there's the relationship between harvey keitel and stallone is established a little bit better and yeah there's little kind of it's not even scenes necessarily but i think there's a dialogue that um yeah kind of really explains them a little bit more even within that opening bar scene where the bomb squad woman keeps looking at um at freddie which is Stallone, there's a whole interaction between him and then um, Figgy or Ray Liotta is kind of explaining him and saying, you know, he has a bummy ear, he's good people, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah. Like, um, I just sticking with Mangold for a second, like, I remember watching Walk the Line, again, opening weekend in the theater, and it was one of the first times I really, like, <laughs> from the moment the movie starts, it's like, oh, this is what it looks like when somebody's trying to win an Oscar. <laughs> Like, okay. and not even, sure, I don't sure. even mean uh, Joaquin. I mean, like, Mangold, like, the movie begins with this, like, you know, sliding, establishing shot of prison, you know? And it's just, like, there's this kind of sense of grandeur about it. that like, oh, we're telling this huge story. And there's all this wind-up to, like, the reveal of Johnny Cash. And it's like, oh, like, this guy, like, definitely was like, I'm going to win an Oscar doing this. <laughs> there are certain movies that you watch that are, like, that are so it's so signposted that they've been they've been made to try to win Oscar. Uh, like yeah. there, there's particularly in the early to mid 2000s. Yeah. I think there's some like really bad offenders of that, like a beautiful mind and crash and things like that. They're just like, Oh, you're trying so hard to oppress the Academy. Akiva Goldsman winning an Oscar for a beautiful mind is one of those moments when I got so viscerally angry at <laughs> the idea of awards for art, because it's like the man who is responsible <laughs> for Batman forever. And, 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 and the thought process, a puzzle is an enigma. 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 Edward Nigma. That's who the Riddler is. It's like, he has an Oscar. <laughs> like, none of this shit makes sense. This isn't a meritocracy. <laughs> and, like, yeah, so, like, we, we probably should get into the plot of this movie very soon. <laughs> yeah. But just yes. one last point on that. Batman Forever, both a more entertaining movie, and I'm going to say it, better movie than A Beautiful Mind. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I can't fault that. Beautiful mind, shit. <laughs> like Batman Forever, I had that, I mean, I had that poster on my wall, A, because huge nerd for comic books, and B, Nicole Kidman is inhumanly gorgeous. <laughs> and I just like, yeah. And we got the Seal song. 
was a good time. Tommy um, we, Lee we, Jones is like having the most fun he's ever had on camera. Oh, <laughs> he, he has a lot of fun in Under Siege. It's very close. Oh yeah, and I then, he was even in it. Yeah. What there was all the McDonald's was it McDonald's or Burger King had the special cups or something too. <laughs> Batman Forever. That was when they were pushing all that stuff. Later on in the year, we're going to do a Batman Forever episode, so like we should maybe hold fire on some of this, you know, like uh, yeah. this is good Batman <laughs> Forever content. Uh, but anyway, we guess well, I'm let's... coming back for that. Shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I got thoughts on Batman Forever. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay right let's let's start with this movie so like yeah. um talking about the kind, of, the kind of director's cut and things that james mangold wanted didn't want um the opening narration by de niro's character mo um that he didn't want that he, he thought like the movie kind of explained itself of like these communities and how these communities got started and this idea of uh, white flight um that you know he would be in parts by the movie um but uh like the weinsteins were like no 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 we need we need this to explain to the audience this this opening narration that explains how the town of garrison kind of got set up and um and then gives us a little bit of background on stallone and apparently in the director's cut the narration that talks about stallone's sheriff character isn't in the director's cut yeah that's the so it does the opening part where it just says about the city but then what i was talking about before when you're seeing in the bar with him playing pinball his character is explained by um figs or figgy to the to the other officer so that dialogue so yeah instead of it being a narration it's i guess exposition or you know explain through that and then so we, we kind of already discussed like what happens after the narration in terms of like yeah there's a there's scene it's like and as we normally introduce it's an interesting scene i suppose because as we normally introduce like stolen characters we normally get a, a hero shot and this is like a i don't want to call it an anti-hero shot because he's not an anti like an unhero shot i suppose um it, like because he's kind of slumped half drunkenly over a pinball machine uh, losing at, at pinball and um you, you know it's it's not how you expect to see Stallone mm. introduced in the movie art <laughs> <laughs> you're fucking which, right it is <laughs> what i just imagined james mangold yelling after every tape it's art moving on <laughs> <laughs> apparently he initially offered this role to gary sinise like gary sinise okay. said it wasn't sexy enough which is weird <laughs> i don't know like that's i read that i read that as a quote I, I was like did gary sinise really say that that seems like a weird thing to say i don't know but i don't know start quoting that's a quote by mango i don't know <laughs> I'm just imagining, like, hey, I was just Lieutenant Dan. I yeah, I know. Sexy. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Maybe that is true, though. It was just like I just spent my like a lot of time as that guy. Like, I need to go 180 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta be sexy again, Yeah, but it is interesting. Like, I was just thinking, like, what if you know, what if like Philip Seymour Hoffman was Freddie Heflin? Yeah. Like, what if you know? Uh, a, a character actor as opposed to an action star i so watching it this time i i agree completely with it i thought i was like um you know i think stallone is fine in the role but i was i felt like it really fit more with yeah you know, hoffman or somebody 
of that caliber. It's hard not to be metatextual about this movie. Yeah. yeah. It's like so, it's so 90s. And just like, I remember like Annabelle Siona like opening the door and I'd forgotten she was in it. And I was just like, mm-hmm. oh man, I miss you. Like, yeah. and then of course you start thinking about how her career was ruined by Harvey Weinstein yeah. and like the moment that she just had with like Me Too and everything. It's just like, oh yeah, now I'm sad. And I'm watching a movie about police who I do not care for. <laughs> and so just like, this is just a, this is just a litany of issues. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's, and Stallone, like, I don't know. I mean, he, yeah, he does a really good job, but he's never not Stallone. Yeah. I mean, it feels like somebody that should have been knocked because he's supposed to be what the hero, the local hero, or whatever. But it definitely, he, yeah, he still is buffed up and everything. You, you expect somebody that like has kind of really let themselves go or something. Because well, that's how the character's almost written. I think this is one of the interesting things. So a lot of the reviews of the time like mention a lot about like this, this, this weight gain and how like kind of fat and schlubby he is. And it's kind of, and he did, I mean, he, he went all out, you know, like mm-hmm. um, he does tone yeah. himself down. He did um, gain 40 pounds for the role, but he doesn't look, you know, he just looks kind of like normal dad bods kind of, you know, it's not, yeah. it's not yeah. like he's like, oh my God, you know, like uh, he's, he's gained so much weight. He's, you know, or, I, I don't know, like they kind of, yeah, a lot of the reviewers of the time seem to treat it as if he'd, he'd like ballooned. He was like fucking like fat Elvis or something. And you're yeah. like, what, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's like when they talk about like, oh, such and such actress, like really like abandoned vanity. And actually I was seeing about this here night. I was watching uh, the women, the woman in the window and Amy Adams, like doesn't wear makeup and her character has acne and is much plainer, but it's also Amy Adams, who's a beautiful woman. And so it's just like, oh, abandons vanity. I was like, ah, uh, yeah, kind of, I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, we're not like Charlize Theron, who's just like, you're going to have to put a lot of <laughs> prosthetics on me. Please make me, you know, n- not look like myself. It's like, yeah, there's still this kind of retention of a, you know, yeah, star right. persona. Yeah. Um, yeah yeah it really does but you know i don't know like the thing the thing about it is like i'm I'm gonna push back a little bit on like um stolen casting like philip seymour hoffman or something like that i don't know if philip seymour hoffman kind of works like i think like that's too much of a character actor i mean this like yeah. for, you know like there's a cop dra- there's a cop drama element of the movie which we're going to talk about very soon <laughs> um, we are positive about this um but like you know like the freddy part of the movie the stolen part of the movie is a western he's supposed to be like mm-hmm. you know he's kind of like gary cooper or something you know like and i don't see philip Hoff- seymour hoffman as gary cooper no i think craig made a really interesting point yeah. about that like the fact that freddy is this like local hero like this is a perfect role for a b movie star you know yeah. somebody who never had the like global phenomenon success of a Stallone or a Schwarzenegger or anything like that. Like, imagine like remaking it today with Casper Van Dien. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just so I was like, oh yeah, where where'd that guy go? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. no, I, yeah. I, I get I get that. And um I, I agree with that. And I think I'm not trying to say of... that I think I don't think Stallone is bad in it. I'm not trying hmm. to like push that. I don't think he's bad. I just 
I'm like, I'm not convinced that he's the best choice. Well, Mango wasn't convinced either, uh, to be <laughs> fair. Like, genuinely, he, you know, like um, a lot of people were pushed on him. Miramax wanted a starry cast. He mm. wanted a less starry cast um, because he thought the kind of having a starry cast kind of detracted from the, the story yeah. of the movie and um, the story he wanted to tell. And they thought it would resonate more with a kind of more, um, yeah, not the kind of top tier stars, but what a more kind of you know middling cast that are kind of you know names that you've brought names and faces you might have heard of, yeah, um, but not necessarily kind of like holy fuck, it's Stallone and De Niro and Ray Liotta and you know Harry Keitel and, and all these kind of big Hollywood names. Yeah, it, I mean, yeah, going off of what Adam was saying, and then even talking about what we were discussing prior with Tarantino it feels yeah I agree with Adam in that sense that Tarantino did with Travolta where Travolta's career had pretty much gone and then he put cast him in you know in Pulp Fiction and it kind of boosted his career back up and all that I feel like yeah that would have been almost a better to I don't know yeah yeah I I mean every movie there's like a million different movies it could have been yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, 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 these are this is the peril of like forensic analysis of a film. It's just like, well, and if this had happened, it's like, yeah, every decision, you know, could have gone a different way. Um, well, I mean, like, I do feel like that that the mangle maybe feels still feels slightly sore about it. In that, like, mm-hmm. you know, in kind of some of the retrospective interviews I, I read, even though he compliments heavily compliments uh, Stone's performance in the movie. He, he does see it as something that affected both reviews and box office in that, uh, you know, like a lot of stolen action fans came to the movie thinking like, oh, it's going to be like Cobra or something yeah. and were disappointed. And then lots of kind of art house crowds kind of stayed away from it because they were like, oh, this is just like some sort of ploy for stolen to get an Oscar or whatever. And we're dead sniffy about it. So like it kind of split the audience and it's kind of grown in reputation yeah over the years and like uh i think it's it's now more well regarded than it was when it first came out because it did get a lot of you know it got decent reviews like solid reviews but like lots of middling reviews and um yeah it kind of you know like i said you know like when i was reading out the numbers you know it's, it's not like it was a box office flop you know, it's, it's still made multiple times with budget, but like obviously it wasn't the kind of hit that either the studio or, or Mangold or Stallone wanted because obviously Stallone retreated back into doing action. He saw it as a kind of failed experiment. And uh, yeah. Hey, Scott, what's the movie about? <laughs> what is the movie about? <laughs> Jesus Christ. We've, like, um, yes. Uh, our audience are on tenterhooks being like, just talk about it. Like, this we- sounds amazing. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> we talked for three hours about the making of another movie based on this movie, but they didn't talk about the movie itself. But now we're going to die. Don't worry. We're going to talk about the movie, right? So, like, we've had Freddy's intro. Then we get introduced to uh, Murray, or his nickname is Superboy. He's at a bachelor party. You know, he's over the bachelor party. He's like, yeah, I've had enough of this. He goes out to his car. And then we're introduced to Robert Patrick's character as well, Jack, sporting a a, a beautiful mustache. And he's puking his guts up. It's kind of set up, oh, is there something going on? Is Murray about to get attacked in the dark or, or whatever, but no, no, that's not what happens. It's just two cops kind of like uh, one cop's puking, one cop's taking care of him. 
and uh, that's that's that. And then uh, Superboy, he drives off in the sky, and, and like because everybody in this uh, movie is a name of some sort, Superboy is played by Michael Rappaport, yep. um, who you know, like yeah. Anyway, I'll talk too much about Michael Rappaport. Um, <laughs> I mean, we'll have lots of chances. He's in this movie a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. <laughs> that's a fair point. Um, so um, yeah, so he drives off. And then he gets into, like, basically uh, a car drives into his car and uh, two black youths are in the car. And one of them uh, points what is a tire iron uh, at him, but he thinks it's a gun. His, um, at the same time as the, the tire iron is pointed at him, his tire goes out because of some glass. Um, but he thinks it's because it's been shot. And then he just goes bananas and just shoots up that car like fires blindly into the car just new york's finest yeah (laughs) (laughs) just not even looking at the car just he just like points his arm out the window out his car window and just like bang 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 just spraying bullets aimlessly but even that scene before when he meets where when we're introduced to Jack and everything, you're kind of, you kind of get the sense that he like, is a little well that that he's not trigger happy, but he's that he's, he's a Michael not the cal- character. Yeah, that he's not the <laughs> calmest with handling you know his firearm because he instantly grabs the gun when he hears you know some noise and he it's it's not really a stretch for Rappaport, is yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> no. yeah, he. I mean, he's like he's the kid. Um, it's interesting that you're like already calling him Superboy, which I was just thinking like. Do they call him that before it, or is it part of the like story that like you know oh these guys these like ruffians were out and he heroically you know shot up their car and stopped them um, yeah but no it is it's it's all cops are bastards like he just you know, he he doesn't have the right information and decides to just yeah. fire upon civilians uh, well, and that is I don't know it <laughs> I, I liked it is immediately just like yeah you've got the the cops that are at this party and our clearly like you know jack shows up to the scene and it's like he was just vomiting from being <laughs> like he's still drunk yeah. you know and like plants the, you know plants the weapon and like all that stuff you're just like so everyone's terrible okay yeah. like i yeah, i mean I'm, I'm with it <laughs> i agree <laughs> well they're bi- the big argument within it amongst themselves are just like you're gonna be fine remember you saved what was it six or seven black babies remember in they're six. black babies and they make sure to keep saying they were black babies that's what you saved it wasn't yeah. just any old babies <laughs> so you're not a racist cop right yeah that that's right that's that's how that works <laughs> it's it's a bit like you know like meet my what and bright friend argument you know like mm-hmm. uh, you know, i can't be racist <laughs> yeah um but like throughout this episode we are going to have to talk about the cast of this movie because like even small roles yeah. are played mm-hmm. by you know actors that even if you do not know the name, you definitely know the face. And so Robert Patrick character, Jack, he plants the evidence and he is called out on this by a medic who appears in all of two scenes and he is played by Paul Calderon, which... As, uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> 
dear. Anyway, tell us what else is happening in the plot, Craig. Okay, and so during this whole the fight between the MT and Jack and everybody, and they're trying to break it up. What uh, it's basically that Superboy potentially we'll see later, depending on what's going to happen in the plot. But he jumped off the George Washington Bridge, is what is being told after his yeah his uncle, played by Harvey Keitel came up and was trying to sort everything out and you know they're base they're saying constantly to him you're going to ruin everything your uncle built and you know, really laying on yeah all of the guilt but yeah that he which is fascinating yeah. <laughs> like because he i mean i'm sure he's a little drunk as well but like he's aware of what just happened he just murdered two people yeah. be, you mm. know because you know and like yeah i mean he he thought that the tire iron was a gun and you know it was probably still like but i think there was and then they say like there's no weapon you know so he's he's kind of reckoning with like oh i just like did the worst thing i could do and they're all just like no 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 you're gonna be fine like <laughs> You know, you could either be the thing that takes down all of our lives, or if we imagine a set of black babies that you have saved, yeah. <laughs> you just saved six imaginary black babies. So, like, let's go with that. You know, yeah. let's let's not let the truth get in the way. <laughs> and yeah. like, yeah, yeah. And we really don't get into that at all. Like, Rappaport's kind of, you know, to be or not to being off to the side, and we don't even see him jump. Yeah. <laughs> It's just a like, which obvious for reasons that become obvious later on, but it's like, yeah, it's just cops lying to themselves. Just like, oh no, he totally just jumped. What are we going to do now? And that's how the delivery is given to us. Yeah, it really is. It really is. I think it, like, um, yeah, they seem to be like creating theater for the, for the amusement stroke ire of the paramedics. That's yeah. really all yeah. that they're doing there. Who they Paul did? Who was yeah. Paul Calderon gonna believe? Harvey Keitel or his lion eyes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what though? I, I definitely have to say, right? You know how we've talked uh, briefly about how this movie kind of sets up subplots, and then we've never does talked not... briefly. No, we've never talked briefly. <laughs> that is <it's... laughs> well called out, Adam. <laughs> I will try to be as succinct as possible about this point I'm just about to make right now. Bah. So, did you think that? If you had just watched this movie for the first time, mm. would you assume that Paul Calderon's medic, Hector, was going to be an actual character in this movie? Yes! Like just from yes. this setup? Of because course. literally he is in this scene and then he is in the scene where uh, the cops are being interrogated by internal affairs, like complaining about how this is all bullshit. And then he is never seen again. Yeah, he's yeah. literally the inciting incident. Yeah, and then, well, we'll get into other characters, but my big, you know, one, my big issue too is Janine Garofalo. Like her, the, every time I watch this movie, I'm like, why? She seems like she's such an important part and then she's just kind of thrown away randomly. And that's yeah. how, yeah, it is for so many actors that it ends up becoming just Stallone's movie by the end, which we've seen in so many throughout this season. Like they yeah. set up all this stuff and then Stallone's ego or something. Which is also up, like yeah. feeds the metatextual reading of like Gene Gruffalo's character just being like, you know what? I'm out of here. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know what, I don't believe in what's happening. I'm not doing anything important. I'm leaving. Yeah. like, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is that is true. She just walks out the movie later on, which we'll discuss as well. It comes up as well. Uh, I do want to mention as well, though. So when we get to the internal affairs interrogations, yes, 
I noted the weirdest connection that this that the films we've talked about in this season has. So one of the interrogating officers, the one that's not De Niro, is a character called Defe- Detective Carson. Mm-hmm. Now, Detective Carson is played by Malik Yoba. Now, Malik Yoba uh, starred in Cool Runnings as Yo Brenner. And um, this is the second time we have come across <laughs> a cast member from Cool Runnings because Leon was in Cliffhanger. So there we go. It's a weird pub trivia fact for you. <laughs> it all goes back to Cool Runnings. Yeah. Yes, the season has somehow. <laughs> it's that's just all been the about game. cool runnings in the end. That's going to become the game of this podcast. It's like, okay, but what's the cool runnings, uh, you know, <laughs> association? We're going to start doing six degrees where it's like, six okay, degrees uh, of cool runnings. Yeah. He, the lone played in a movie with blah, 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 who played in with John Candy. So that's cool runnings. There we there go. We go. Yeah. <laughs> bing, 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 bing. You just won $100. <laughs> anyway, uh, moving on with the plot. Like, this is, like, we have those interrogations, like, um, they don't kind of lead anywhere. The cop that's being interrogated doesn't turn up in the film again. (laughs) And um, he seems like he's going to be a character too, but no. And uh, that's that. And then we move on and we get introduced to... Um, Garofalo's character, Cindy. Mm-hmm. And, well, the cop being interrogated is the only kind of black regular police officer. And so they really push that kind of element on them about, well, are you even going to see Garrison, you know, while these white people, are all these white cops, do they even care about you? So it makes it seem like he's going to have a kind of conflict, a moral conflict, but yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, and then we are introduced to Jean Garofalo doing her job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. In a school zone of 25 miles an hour, everybody's going like 50, and he, you know, uh, and Freddie is just letting it happen. Yeah, this is my, this is what I was saying before. Like they, they set up this cop land town, and then they're and like because they're cops, they're like, well, we have to have a police force because what is society without police force? But then they do not want the police force to enforce any <laughs> laws. They're like, no, 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 we're cops. We're all on the same side. Like, it, I'm, I should be able to drive 70 in a school zone. And like, yeah. you know, if a kid gets hit, well, they shouldn't have been there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Harvey Keitel, goddammit. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen my penis? it's the 90s you definitely have (laughs) this is not the bad lieutenant episode adam this is a couple (laughs) but as you kind of mentioned craig this is you know this is kind of the problem with like cindy's character of like kaitel as ray is like patronizing his fuck to her so is is robert patrick's character jack and dude it feels like there's something going to be done about that in terms of like Oh, at the start of the movie, Freddie just lets it slide and lets everybody be patronizing to her, and, and that's it doesn't question it. He just he's just being chicken shit, and then you think like, oh, there's going to be a part later on where you stick up for her, or, or or she'll just stick up for herself and have like a badass moment or something, and it just never arrives. Yeah, <laughs> you think something's going to happen, and then it doesn't. <laughs> welcome, welcome to Copland. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> all of us are just waiting for that that final sh- showdown where it's in silence that's what it's all about <laughs> <laughs> that is a great scene which we'll yeah, obviously no, talk yeah. about <laughs> sometime within the next three hours um, <laughs> oh boy <laughs> 
So, well, after... Oh, but this is also where we see that Michael Rappaport has not jumped to his death. Yep, that is (laughs) true. He's in the back seat. Yeah. And Freddie sees it too, but obviously he's not going to say anything. Right. Living in New York, it does make me like, wait a second, are we just faking deaths willy-nilly? Like, is that that what's happening here? Like, oh, uh, he's dead. This is also like such a pre-internet movie. Or it's like, oh yeah, you just can't do that. Like you can't, <laughs> like people would know very quickly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But um, thankfully that is not an issue that this movie has to deal with being made in 1997. <laughs> Nary a cell phone to be found. It does. The weird thing is like, um, just talking about, just thinking about the like, the like going back to the box office thing about like Miramax and thinking, oh, this is going to be like a, like a big hit. Like they really kind of kneecapped it by releasing it in August. This is yeah. like an October, November movie. Like this, yeah. it's the wrong time of year to release this film. Right. I mean, that's what staggering arrogance gets you is, you know, well, we're, 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 we're Miramax. We're geniuses. We're great at this. We're living gods. We can do what we want. You know, it's, we can put this out in August because fuck you, why not? <laughs> we, you know, I mean, this was like the height, you know, of his powers. Yeah, you know, yeah, 1998 sure. is Shakespeare in Love. Like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, yeah, Harvey, like if Harvey said that the sky was green, like you were going to get three movies within a week telling you that the sky was green, you know, and people were just like, oh, yeah, no, it's, he's just right. So you know, yeah, they, they were feeling themselves and they made a lot of decisions that, uh, hmm, you know, <laughs> were certainly decisions. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, I, I suppose you're right, Adam. This was kind of at the height of his medical, megalomaniacal powers, you know? Yeah. Uh, what a dick. <laughs> there's, like, there's so few good things. I mean, again, like, the reading of this movie is just like, oh, it's, it, there's so many, like, awful people associated with it and even in it, and it, the subject matter is about something that we've, like, completely re- uh, reoriented our, our understanding of. It's an odd movie to be discussing in 2021. Because yeah, it's yeah, so sure, 1997. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of touches on the nerve of like a lot of things that are obviously happening in in your guys' country of, yeah. of you mm-hmm. know the Black Lives Matter movement and police corruption and the kind of defund the police kind of movement. You know all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, but it but it it just doesn't go oh, push as far as I think it should have to be because what we what we talked about prior of like him being or making a movie that's a truly a great movie and i think that's where it falls like it's it's trying to be safe in its sentiment but without i don't know there's a lot of stuff they could really just touch on especially in the night i mean more so now you know based on everything that's happening but especially in the 90s because you had all the riot the la riots yeah all that kind of stuff as well it would i i don't generally think about remakes but it would be an interesting film to remake with how greatly, uh, with how different we are, and our, our how, our how greatly our understanding has shifted of all these things. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I think this is a I, I honestly think this is a, a really good movie that could have been a masterpiece if it was ju- it was more incisive in its attack in yeah. certain subject matters it, it's covering, and it kind of yeah, it kind of glosses over a, a bunch of stuff, and it never goes as deep and as hard as you would like on a lot of these topics. Yeah. And that's the Oscar element. 
<laughs> you don't want to take push it too hard because then you can't get the Oscar. Yeah, that's a fair point. Anyway, we'll come back to the plot. Like yeah. plot yes. wise, we're now going to have De Niro and Keitel have an act off. Yep. <laughs> Which this was another kind of like a wasn't this this was a big one because it was the first time they were on screen together since Mean Streets. I think. Or Taxi Driver. Oh, yeah, Taxi yeah. Driver, of course. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah, that, yeah, was, of course. Taxi that was how the, the hype of it was. It was like, oh, De Niro and Cartel are back again, and they're at odds again. <laughs> These guys just can't get along. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, you know, how Mo is describing the town of Garrison and, like, Cartel's line of, like, what are we, fucking Amish? <laughs> now is, yeah, really cracks me up. <laughs> I'll give like, I agree that Mo is not really that crucial. I mean, De Niro is great, but there are some great lines that he has. There are some of my favorites throughout, especially with the go to lunch element. That oh, yeah. Got, where That's the guy brilliant. has the sandwich in his hand. And he's like, but I'm eating. He's like, go to lunch, go fucking lunch. And he's yelling at all of them. <laughs> I did have a moment of like, is this what that's from? Like, no, it's Gungary Gunross. Like, oh my god! But again, yeah. very tired last night. I was just like, wait a second. I don't feel like Copland has that much of a legacy in the culture. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I, Mo is Mo is a very funny character to me because he does like it's so just. Let's get De Niro. But like, if you know, like William H Macy was playing the role, because <laughs> yeah. he's, yeah. I love that. Like, he's just like, okay, Freddie. We gotta get you in on this. And Freddie's like, oh, I don't know. And then five minutes later, Freddie's like, okay, I think I want to help. And he's like, ah, too late. I've moved on to something else. And it's like, isn't this literally your job? What do you mean you've moved on? <laughs> and then after he leaves, he says the whole thing of like, if this, if that cupcake makes a mess, then we, we got a case again. Because you got to remember, right. like, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll now kind of skip over that scene because we've discussed like, later on in the movie. <laughs> this happens where the mayor calls him off the case, and that's why he reacts like that. Yeah, sorry, I am really bad at like linear recounting. <laughs> I want to just jump around. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. And that's <laughs> why I'm not the host. Yeah. You are, Scott. <laughs> what does happen next? Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, so talking about this kind of movie, kind of glossing over stuff. Um, there, I mean, there's a there's kind of a couple of scenes that that happen after that. Um, Fred uh, meets Mo very briefly because Mo thinks he's giving him a ticket and then Mo's kind of sounding him out and then Fred's like there, there's kind of non-scene of you know like kind of filler scene of like uh, just to introduce the fact that Fred is you know is, is in love with this character of Liz who is the character who he, he saved uh, from drowning and that's how he, he lost his hearing in in one ear and then yeah all oh, right yeah and then uh, like there's a kind of neighbor dispute and this is where we find out and about an affair that is happening because there's this character of rose who plays um ray's ray's wife and uh this yeah it's not much of a character but the fact you know kathy moriarty's playing it so yeah. we're kind of interested in the character she's very good in the role even though she turns up in like three or four scenes yeah she's um, there to kind of move some elements of the plot forward like with superboy and but that's yeah she's really non-existent except it's like a i don't know to move a prop <laughs> yeah i mean like this movie's mo seems to really be like has this actor worked with scorsese this yeah. <laughs> 
also like speaking of Liz, <laughs> it so threw me that Sylvester Stallone and Annabelle Ciora are apparently supposed to be the same age. <laughs> I'm like, yes. well, yeah, she's 15 years younger than him. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yes, um, yeah, Stallone born in 1946, Annabelle Sciorra born in 1960. So yes, uh, the four, 14 years difference there. But yes, in this movie, it is very funny. Is they're they're the exact same age. Uh, it's been a a regular ongoing thing in the yeah. Stallone season. Oh yeah, it definitely has. Oh, I, I think this is funny anytime this happens in the yeah. movie. I remember, you know, when Hobbs and Shaw came out and uh, Hobbs and Shaw tried to convince us that Jason Statham and Vanessa Kirby were brother and sister, which would be, <laughs> which would be fine if they were like different, you know, different mothers or something like that, or if it was explained. No, there's an actual flashback of them being roughly the same age when you're like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I just actually clicked because like I, said, I have IMDb up. So I have learned to like have it up so I can check things while I'm talking. And uh, Harvey Keitel born 1939, Kathy Moriarty born 1960. And like, again, presented as same age. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, we 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 could get into the double standard of Asian Hollywood, but let's not, because this is a four-hour podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, absolutely, that is absolutely true. But yes, um, Annabella Sciorra, Stallone, Peter Berg—they all went to high school together. Yep. Peter Berg, who looks like a fetus in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Berg is. Peter Berg is even younger than Annabella Sciorra. He was born in 1964. So, like, oh, yeah. I, I mean, the age of, uh, of this movie is is insane. But um... <laughs> well, And that pops up even in the reverse because there's a point where Ray Liotta is telling Peter Berg that um, like basically how old he is. You know, I was doing all this stuff while you were still sucking on your mother's teeth. Like, well, they can't be that. I don't. I, I should check their age, but I feel like they aren't that their age isn't that different leota born 1954 okay so 10 yeah. years he's 10 years older than okay them. it's a tenuous grasp on you yeah. know it shares my it shares my feelings on linearity i think yeah <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely because then like it suggested that figures is like stallone's best friend so that the so did they not all go to high school to get? I don't yeah. understand. It, it's fine. It's fine. We can we can't go too too far down this rabbit hole. Um, it's we've right. gone down enough rabbit holes already. Yeah. We, need, we need to we need to reel this back in. We need to uh, <laughs> you know, talk about or something. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> Freddy, yeah. so Freddie brings a yeah. a stuffed turtle that fell off of Liz's car that was her daughter's back to her house and she thanks him for it and it kind of shows there the kind that he aches for her in a way but then that's where where it goes where they're asking about or that's yeah she brings up the garbage bags about that there's one garbage bag that isn't hers that somebody keeps leaving there yeah and that's yeah. where we get the, in yep. the interrogation of rose who snaps back that um maybe if uh, joey doesn't like my garbage then he can stop soiling my sheets. <laughs> and it's like, oh, right, there's some sort of affair go going on here. Oh, I wonder if we'll get more of that. Not really. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah. talking about this film kind of glossing over things, there, there is a scene just after this where 
Fred's deputy, Deputy Bill, who is played by Noah Emmerich, who would later go on to be kind of more famous for the Americans, um, you know, starring in that show. Uh, but um, he's just like, har- while like Stone is like sitting in his car, like having like a brief flashback, he's just harassing a black couple and it's kind of not commented on. Like the, and then all, the black yeah, not yeah. commenting at all, and then the black couple like drive by Stone and kind of shout some abuse at him and being like, well, basically, we're not coming back to this town. Fuck you guys. And it's just like, well, that that was a yep. We're moving yeah. on from that. Yeah, like well, apparently Deputy Bill's a bit of a racist, and we don't discuss it at all. Well, now I'm it, thinking about like Craig's thing about the Fargo <laughs> series of like making Copland a series. I'm like, yo, do I get an episode about the uh, Garrison Tourism Bureau? Like, yeah. why anyone would come to this town for any reason ever? <laughs> well, there's even that whole section where, where Jack talks about it's not where they're patronizing, yeah, patronizing um, Janine Garofalo, where they're saying it's not the locals you need to worry about honey or something like that it's oh, all yeah. the outsiders and they kind of they hint at people of color again it's it's like all these subtexts are hinted at but then just never <laughs> investigate more like, oh, yep. that's it like after that that scene with the the couple yelling at them then it kind of just goes away it's no longer a thing yeah yeah it's not a good script like there's so much else to recommend about this movie but like it's really not a good script it could have used more it, it needed another draft it needed like it's just it's kind of a lazy script but it is a it is an absolute like triumph of casting and department heads that like it's yeah. it is you know it's a well-regarded ish film uh but yeah this the script is a bit lazy <laughs> yeah. yeah i wouldn't disagree with that what happens next <laughs> Well, we've kind of covered what happens next a little bit because we, we get the introduction of Joey and that's where, like, um, Figgy's uh, Ray Liotta's character is, is saying, like, oh, I've been doing this since, since you were a kid or whatever, uh, talking about that. But, like, it is it is a pretty entertaining scene because, like, um, really, I mean, Ray Liotta throughout this movie is acting his fucking socks off. <laughs> he is, you know, he's a very convincing cokehead, I'll tell you that. And um, he is, again, like this is one of the many act-offs in the movie so like Leoda's going at it toe-to-toe uh, with Robert Patrick and they're having an act-off and then like he just starts like uh, just fucking jack up you know, yeah. Robert Patrick's character and then he does like the weirdest thing where he's just he takes a dart or the <laughs> dartboard and then he sticks it up Jack's nose and then he's just like dragging him around the bar with this dart <laughs> up his nose which is just just a surreal it like it's just a really funny it, it cracks me up for some reason <laughs> well, yeah and then he decides to act off against um, Harvey Keitel or well Ray in it too after that after he like drops him to the ground then there's the yeah. kind of him yelling at tell, tell him why you can't look me in the eyes <laughs> tell him why you can't look at me yeah. and he has my yeah one of my favorite lines in this besides the going to lunch where he's well we'll get into it never mind i don't want to jump around too much i'll wait until we actually get to it what are you trying to say oh <laughs> no, 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 no. What are you, you you're trying to say there's something wrong with jumping around what's, what's <laughs> just why he's driving his car at the end yeah, yeah. Like, what the fuck are you looking I, at Whatever. oh i love it so much yeah. ray leota is the best yeah oh, oh yeah <laughs> oh, no. ray leota is is great in this he really is <laughs> Oh, dear. We actually, I just remembered that, like, in that like opening bit on the bridge where where the plot all kicks off, 
like one of the cops is also played by John Spencer, who doesn't have much of a role, but his character in this is called Leo, and he would go, go on to yeah. become much more famous for playing another Leo in a couple of years from this in the West Wing. Yeah, the cast of this is nuts. It really is. <laughs> it really is. I mean, it's it's so frank vincent showing up for like a scene just and like having like two lines you're just like frank Vincent's just an interesting actor like i just want to follow yeah. everybody yeah. <laughs> despite <laughs> the fact that when we do follow the characters it doesn't really go anywhere <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right well yeah do you know there is a do you know there is a scene that was cut from the movie i don't know like what part she played or like what element she had to do with the plot or whatever but Apparently, Debbie Harry yeah. had a cameo in this, but it was cut out in the movie. And I'm just like, you're just adding to, the, you're just adding people for the sake of it. <laughs> yeah, I looked at the so watching it this time. I was looking at the IMDb and everything. And again, I've seen it a bunch, but I saw her name pop up, and it was one of the first kind of names build. Like, wait, I've seen this movie so many times, and I love Blondie. I know yeah. Debbie, Debbie Harry's not in this film. Oh, my yeah, God. But... I had no idea. Now I'm like, yeah, it's like she's on the IMDb. Like, now I'm going to meet a, you know, Ryan Murphy-esque miniseries about the making of Copland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't stand Ryan Murphy miniseries, but oh, my God, this is fascinating. <laughs> I think I'm going to go down a rabbit hole of Copland after this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah researching this uh took a long time because i just kept going down imdb rabbit holes it was uh, yeah. uh much like this podcast keeps going down the same yeah. routes. <laughs> yeah oh, so, the the it, silence earlier like when we were talking about radio Auto, was the sound of me not talking about something wild <laughs> just like oh god i want to talk about how amazing radio is we do not have time for that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so next up is that one don't we move to the party or is it because i know it changes um from director's cut to theatrical is it when um oh so uh, basically the... no like for we we now move on like uh freddie goes over to lizzie's house yes that's there's what, a yeah. bit of bit of a domestic and then like after he after that he like is kind of he goes back home he's napping on the couch and we get more of that flashback of like when what, what actually Ray, when freddie saved liz yeah like what actually happened when that car was, went off the bridge and yeah isn't that the scene yeah when you were when you know like the domestic thing when like peter berg is outside with like blood running down yeah. his face and he's like everything's fine and then she yes, opens the door for stallone scene. and peter berg kicks it open and war storms in like yeah. shouldn't he die at the end of this movie like, <laughs> it's like given that scene like shouldn't peter berg dead <laughs> at some yeah. point like or face some consequence yeah. Well, and then even your own. I mean, he does. I mean, yeah. we'll discuss it later. But then, even when he does die, you almost it makes it feel like he doesn't. I don't know. He doesn't deserve it in a weird. Like they try and make him out to be just another victim of Ray's. But yeah, based on all the stuff yeah. we've seen of him prior, you're kind of yeah. Like, so he. I don't know. <laughs> I guess it is like it's indicative of how like while Mangold is telling a morality play in a world of police, he's like genuinely inherently on the police's side. Yeah. So even though they're terrible people doing terrible things, it's still just like, yeah, but like, uh, you know, cops have a hard job and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Sometimes you got to blow off steam. And yeah, I hate it so much. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 
Go to, moving on. <laughs> moving on. Now, um, yeah, this is where Figgis's house is set on fire. Yes. Like it's, it's his house is on fire. And we are led to assume, since we had just not long seen him drag Jack around with a dart up his nose, that uh, Jack was was ordered to do this uh, by Ray. And it's a, another one of those plot sections that seem like it's a huge thing and could be a whole movie basically in itself. <laughs> but then for some reason it's just in there and feels kind of useless but yeah that's, that's... you know it's kind of interesting like i'm i'm writing uh the script that will probably be our next movie and um i my current like chief worry is that i'm doing too much you know like there's there's a sequence that like when i tell people the story i get to the sequence and i could like there's not always, but sometimes you kind of see in their eyes, like, okay, this is a lot. And <laughs> so there is that concern when you're, you know, when you're writing a script of just like, am I doing too much? Because, you know, if you do too much, then the ability to emotionally connect with the really important stuff gets lost because, well, is it all important, you know? Uh, and that's, this is a really fascinating case study of just like, there's a bunch of really cool ideas yeah. and it's mm. interesting. But if you can't really dig into any one of them, then what was the... Yeah. yeah <laughs> but Figgy's wife dies in the process, too. She burns to death. Monica, we hardly knew ye. Yeah. She's we, that is absolutely true, because she is just introduced as a kind of, uh, well, like, um, totally burnt near corpse. Yeah. Right. <laughs> introduced as a corpse is a really good... That, that feels like it should be the title of a book about acting in like law and order shows or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. And then, I mean, after that, we, we cut to like um, the fake funeral of Superboy. Which everyone there knows is fake. Like, they're all just like, oh, it's a suit. Like they're laughing about it. Like, oh my yeah. God. Such terrible people. <laughs> <laughs> again just theater for their for their own sake apparently yeah, <laughs> yeah. like why are you all there then <laughs> like there's no press <laughs> but, so is yeah. it traditional to play bagpipes at a, at a policeman's funeral is that i think is that, so is that yeah. a thing like because uh, i was i was like being scottish i was like oh they're just playing bagpipes for some reason oh, cool it's it's a a cop movie thing <laughs> well, well clearly michael rapaport is irish yeah. <laughs> you know he's definitely not italian <laughs> murray babich such a such an irish scottish name <laughs> well yeah, we, I, I come across babages all the time yes. <laughs> well we so get uh, this whole thing too where it kind of shows um, Ray helping out Freddie, where he meets up with the I forgot is it the mayor or it's not the or the no uh, the so this is where Frank out. Vincent turns up yes, he is yes. the president of like kind of the police union or something yeah. yeah and then yeah and then basically he's like oh I can fix you up and then doesn't appear again yeah <laughs> Frank that's Vincent honest, out that's one of my favorite moments of Stallone's in the entire movie is the it's like how genuine the like is he serious. Like yeah. his eyes are so just like, oh, oh, you want it so badly. Like, oh, buddy, I understand. <laughs> I, I feel that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, so now, so after the fact, so after this funeral is kind of when we move into the party and everything. Yeah, because, mm. but he's with, we get another kind of scene with him and Figgy 
where Figgy is now staying with Ray, or well, he's staying in the police station for a bit, it seems like, and then he's staying with at Ray's house. Yeah, apparently in the director's cut, there's like an actual kind yeah. of connecting scene where like he's, yeah. he, like Freddy actually says to Figgis like, oh, you don't have to sleep in the sheriff's office, you know, you, you can always sleep over at my house kind of thing. But in the theatrical cut that we all watched for this podcast recording, that scene does not happen. Yeah, it's just a lot of kind of random stuff happens in the, in the theatrical cut. I gotta see this director's cut. Um, you got you got me curious now. I gotta yeah. I gotta yeah. find it. But yeah, apparently he does fill out some of the relationships yeah. kind of a bit more, like the relationship between Freddie and Ray, the relationship between Figgis and and uh, Freddie, uh, and yeah, just kind of rounds out some characters a bit more uh from from what i've heard yeah it, it definitely it makes more sense i guess why ray or why freddie would be more defensive of ray in the beginning from what i you know i remember watching the director's cut it's not a I mean, lot of stuff but it, it makes a little bit more sense <laughs> i mean that part always made that part made sense to me yeah. that, that like you have a character like freddie who like you know has clearly wanted to be a cop and you know couldn't because of his his uh his injury and like so ray is the guy that gave him the chance to do the thing and like and i i get the psychology of ray picking this guy who's like oh he's gonna be a pushover you know he 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 couldn't be real police so he'll be our police and he'll let us get away with everything and freddie like being grateful for the the job and the chance to be this like that whole psychology i totally get uh and you know, I wonder, yeah, like I, I now I, it's what has me curious about this director's cut. It's like, oh, if they're going to plumb that more and get into that dynamic, like that sounds fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. From what I remember, it just, it helps kind of connect things a little and build the relationships. But yeah. besides that, it doesn't really change. There's nothing major that it really changes. Okay. Oh, actually, yeah. Like um, before we kind of cut to the party, this is, and again, this is apparently a scene that runs longer in the director's cut is where like mo uh the you know the head ie guy played by de niro he um he he's questioning uh freddie and Mm -hmm. um he he says he gets to say the title of the movie which is always fun uh when when anybody says the title of the movie he just says looks like you're the sheriff of kaplan and everybody goes like ah he said the title of the movie And he does, and he basically says the whole thing about Freddy not being a real cop. The same as him, that they're both, and they're in the eyes of these other police officers, they're not real cops. They're yeah, they're both in too. law enforcement, but you know, he's not a real cop. Don't they also have like an origin story of how Mo came to be IA? Um, Ray makes one up, or oh, okay, but he says the only way, or you know, how guys get into IA is they do something bad right so, yes yeah yeah so he kind of makes up two stories because he like he says to freddie yeah that like um ie guys are like basically get caught with their fingers in the tiller or so you know whatever you know get caught doing something bad and then are faced with a choice go to jail join us and then earlier on when Cattell and De Niro were having an act off, he kind of made it seem like he, he did it for a girl. Um, and then, you know, but De Niro kind of brushes that off and is like, is that, is that how it goes? Um, so, like, yeah, we we assume that Ray's just bullshitting um, you know, yeah. the whole time. Which, again, is such a fascinating thing in a modern context because that's exactly what the, like, modern conservative mindset is. is like, well, you know, the only way anyone would ever do that is 
insert contrivance here that's yeah. not based in reality or anything <laughs> which, yeah which mo actually says something he's almost more generous with ray where he says ray he basically says ray used to be a good cop he used to be a nice guy or he was a like a, a collar or whatever however he phrases it he yeah. was an upstanding citizen, but something changed along the way. Kind of. Yeah. How it goes. Yeah. yeah. But this is where we see that Murray, very much not dead. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just partying. Everybody else knows he's not dead. <laughs> so this is essentially, yeah, he's essentially partying at his own weight. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the dream. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he very much is, well, he, he very much, it looks like he, he might die uh, very soon because Ray gets a phone call from a mysterious source that this movie doesn't bother to go further <laughs> into. And then, <laughs> and then it's like, oh, well, Murray's, Murray's going to die now. And, but Rose overhears this. Uh, so she gives Murray a warning. But she doesn't feel confident enough in the company to whisper in her, his ear or anything. So writes it down on a napkin and gives him a drink with the napkin underneath it, which seems like there's like a 50-50 chance he sees that or not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's pen too with all the condensation. So there's yeah, a good yeah, all the, all the kind of you know the, the whiskey running onto it and stuff like that. So yeah. it's not the best plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, his plans go like it's. I mean, like lucky for him, he does actually see it. But you know, it, it could have gone either way. To be fair, yeah. <laughs> And he happens to see it right in the bathroom where apparently they keep all their guns hanging too. <laughs> Just... <laughs> yeah, that didn't make sense too. I was like, what? <laughs> uh, throw your coats in the bedroom, throw your guns in the bathroom, drinks are in the kitchen. All right, guys, let's go. <laughs> Time to party. Yeah. Oh, dear. It's... And so after everyone leaves, he goes out to meet Ray, who is by the hot, like their hot tub, I think. It looks like a, it's either above ground pool or hot tub or whatever it is. He walks out there and he's basically trying to suck up to Ray saying, thank you so much for all you did here. You really made a great place. And then Jack and um, Leon, right? They come out and kind of surround him. And as he say, well, it's all, it's going to be all good. Then Jack says, no, it's not. And then they start trying to drown him, which Luckily, he had that bathroom gun to start mm -hmm. firing off randomly. That's true. That's, that's his move, blind firing a gun blindly. <laughs> that's his like, that's his superpower. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I didn't, I didn't even make that connection of, of like, yeah, that seems to be. You know, he just, um, he's incredibly reckless with a firearm, it's just like yeah. spraying bullets wherever. But this does enough to uh, scare off uh, Ray and uh, jack and and like the the other i think it's frank's his name yeah yeah his right. other is the other corrupt cop and then joey rides up on the scene and um he's all very confused and yeah this is the kind of point where we were kind of supposed to kind of semi-side with joey because joey is like oh i thought you were gonna send him up with a new life and ray's like like oh you know like uh you think he says you think i'm all that joey uh to kind of suggest yeah. that like his power only extends so far that you can't just like be sending people up with new lives although he can be faking deaths and yeah <laughs> and calling off internal affairs investigations so like but just a phone call 
Yeah. So, um, so which could yeah, have been an interesting subversion because I feel like that happens all the time in these movies. Is like, all right, well, we're gonna have to create you a new persona, and you're just gonna have to go live somewhere else and be a different person now. And here's the ready-made new persona package. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point. <laughs> Hi, I watch entirely too many movies. <laughs> Shit's easy, apparently. That we can just yeah. toss off a social security card. Why not? Yeah. So this movie uh, makes the move of being like, yeah, it's not so easy. It's not so easy. It's easy to fake deaths. Um, It's easy to get the heat off you because you're good friends with the mayor. But um, it's not so easy to create an entire new fake identity. Oh, the the scene that happens before, there's a scene that happens before this that uh, I think I should mention because it's kind of a, not really, it's a bit of a nothing scene because the the romance (laughs) doesn't go anywhere. But like just Stallone's performance of like when Liz comes around to his house and she says, why did you never marry Freddie? And like the heartbroken kind of puppy doggish way he says, because all of the best girls were taken. Yeah. And then he's like in tears and he just puts his head on her shoulders. It's just, I don't know. I, I, was, I was genuinely touched by it. it was, yeah. You know, like yeah. one of the most genuinely touching moments of acting that Stallone has ever done. And I agree. And I think the, well, I mean, we're going to spoil the movie anyways. I think what I always appreciate, I guess, about this movie is that he doesn't, it doesn't be one of those things once um, Joey dies that him, he becomes like the, you know, nuclear family element where he takes over the father role or the husband role. Mm, like, yeah. it, it kind of ends that they're never going to be together, especially when you see her reaction with him wanting to, figure out joey's death and her being like just leave it even for her own husband yeah yeah, yeah. that is a good point like yeah mo- like most other like this movie in like most other iterations of this movie would like absolutely have them like you know she's like oh i didn't know when i was you know 17 or whatever the hell she's supposed to be then like you know i didn't know who you were or what i had or any of that stuff but like now i do yeah, like yeah, it's just it never goes there at all. Yeah, good on you, movie. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> but kind of cutting back into where we were in the plot, let's let let us uh, Adam take this one because I I know this is one of your favorite scenes, Adam. It's the classic <laughs> go to lunch scene. Oh, I just that's what I said. I was like, I I, I know that's actually from Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, but like when he when he was doing it, and he was doing it exactly as Kevin Spacey. Yeah. And then Gary, I'm just like, go to lunch, go to lunch. Will you go to lunch? And I was just like, wait a second. I had this weird moment of like, I thought I remembered that from a different movie. And it's like, wow, is James Mingold already quoting Glenn Gary Glenn Ross? <laughs> <laughs> Good on you. But like, wow, okay. Um, yeah, there's, there's there's some kind of mammoth stuff going on here. I should not be tasked ever with recounting any amount of the plot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> just, fair, fair. Let me just fair say point, that now. Fair, fair, <laughs> fair point. I love as well that the guy that he shouts uh, go to lunch to is an actor called Michael Gaston, who plays uh, like a relatively decent sized role in the series The Mentalist and has been in a bunch of other TV series and is kind of like one of those faces you'll definitely know. And I like like how even nothing rolls is like faces you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will never not I will never get over the cast of this movie. Because like I was just no. watching it just being like, holy fuck that's like yeah, and then insane. and then having to like IMDB them like it's it's, it's which I guess, I mean, it's kind of what, like, they're all, you know, they're always, when you're developing something, it's like, you know, 
the, we want to get the biggest name we can get for everything, you know? And that's, I, I know that that's the goal or the hope. And it's always kind of interesting when you watch a movie from the 60s or 70s and you see like the young version of somebody yeah. that you know is like an older actor. Yeah, yeah. I remember showing like Annie Hall to people like some years back and like one of the one of the girls there was just like, holy crap, that's what Jeff Goldblum looked like when he was young? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, more and more, it feels like that what like these cop movies, because we've come up with a couple of them, I think even just for this podcast, it's like um, they're almost the, I guess, whatever they would be now, Marvel or DC movies of today, where it's like there's always that one movie where it's like, let's get all of the, the big names for just one epic crime thriller. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> I suppose like, you know, because kind of pulp fiction's like that, like everybody's like, you know, faces you know and you know other crime movies like things like get shorty you know like and then there was, a, there was kind of a few movies like that and then they, but also like war films as well because it was yeah. like you know mm-hmm. the year after you had saving private ryan and the thin red line and both of yep. them are just like packed with like faces you know like terence malick is just incredibly he, he does that all the time or he just packs his movies with all these big name actors and then tell doesn't tell them that he's cut them out of the movie and stuff <laughs> like that and then they all come to premieres like well i'm sure i had a bigger role i'm now in it for all of a minute yeah, huh. tells Adrian oh. Brody he's the main he's the main <laughs> character of the movie and then he's like in one scene or oh Malik <laughs> it's art <laughs> <laughs> is that what Mangold and Malik have in, in common is that what they shout after and cool runnings yeah. <laughs> and cool runnings <laughs> oh, dear. hey what happens next <laughs> Well, actually, like, um, what happens next is we get one of the great lines of the movie where, like, Freddy has this confrontation with uh, Jack, uh, Robert Patrick's character, and he's kind of suggesting that he might have burnt down Figgis' house. And then Jack says, no, that is retribution. That I leave to God. I am Gandhi. And you're like, what now? <laughs> Internal <laughs> consistency in your characters is fun. <laughs> yeah, because this character's just been like this kind of knuckle-dragging, like, yeah, Neanderthal type. type. You're just like, oh, this is weirdly eloquent for this character. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's so out of it's so out of nowhere. I remember thinking that last night. Like, I may have even like rewound, like, wait a second. Did that just was there something that prompted that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just uh, for that one weird moment, he's uh, suddenly all... But well, we not long after that, we get another one of this movie's great lines where um, Ray Liotta describes the whole situation of the movie as a dark and deep motherfuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful description. But we do get the, you know, the very major plot that is crucial within that scene where we're kind of hinted that maybe the fire was caused by Ray Liotta in itself because, you know, it's very crucial to the plot. Yep. You know what else is crucial to the plot? That this whole town was funded by mob money. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Again, where the hell did that come from? (laughs) And It just becomes a plot point at this point and you're just like, Oh, what now? Uh, Ray was given all the money to found this town by mobsters who are not in the film. Uh, Okay, interesting choice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, I'm not. That's I'm not going to talk about the script anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's why, if you're interested, leave us a review, and we'll make the mini series of Copland. <laughs> yeah, where, where you see like the founding of Garrison, you know, you see transaction, you know, the mobsters are in the mini series. You know, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff. We, we dig deeper into deputy builds racism <laughs> that's not commented on. There's a whole thing, you know. There's there, like, and we can even go to upstate New York and see what Cindy's doing. You know, it's it's yeah it's, we've got a whole thing planned for this you know like we do um, just our, our whole pitch is just going to be copland but then we're going to cut in starship troopers would you like to know more every yeah so <laughs> <laughs> uh yes that is very much you've uh, you've got it you've got it adam that's it <laughs> yep <laughs> isn't that an interesting digression would you like to know more yeah Give us 10 hours of time. <laughs> uh, do you know, what, what I also love uh, in this scene as well is, like, I love Ray Liotta in this film, but he goes on this rambling metaphor about going diagonal that yeah. <laughs> I've watched this movie a few times. I still don't really understand where he goes with this. Like, uh, you got to go diagonal. The diagonal rule is more important than the golden rule. What's the golden rule again? Like, to... Can, I need more information, Ray. Um, I, <laughs> Listen, <laughs> cocaine is a hell of a drug. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> is this the where he spills, starts spilling the beer can and the cop? That's when he part? starts when they yeah. spill the beer can, and it goes more into the whole diagonal yeah. thing. And you steer, yeah. you need to steer diagonal, and like I, I get lost. I'm like, if if the lights are all red, do you go mm -hmm. through all the red lights? But then you're dealing <laughs> with traffic, or do you turn? Yeah. Uh -huh. No. You so you still have you don't have you've watched this more than me and you don't yeah. know what this metaphor is going for either okay i, I, only, <laughs> I only know you don't take broadway to get to broadway that's what he said yeah but that's just words that's not yeah. a, that's not a sentence <laughs> you just put a bunch of you know, just... <laughs> well and you know you could extrapolate that that's just scenes that's not a script yeah oh no i went and did the thing i said i was oh, doing it. god damn it adam i'm gonna put myself in timeout sorry but every time i watch i always think about that beer too and that's where, my, where i'm like why are you just spilling the like you purposefully are spilling the beer on his porch it's art yeah he's acting it's a choice i think i think like the beer is supposed to be the spilled beer is supposed to be some analogy for spilled blood or something like i i yeah i really get lost in this scene i don't know what it's it like like adam said cocaine's a hell of a drug <laughs> but but it does go with our the um stallone season where for some reason every single movie it's stallone it's like putting in a five or whatever. And then there's one actor or the whole cast, even with like Demolition Man, they're just up to 11. And that seems to be every Stallone movie. Uh, but yeah, at least like uh, Stallone's kind of dialed in performance, like yeah. makes sense in this one. You know, like, you know it's yeah. the fact that he's going small is like makes sense and it works well with other actors going big, like Robert Patrick, like Ray Liotta, like... Harvey Keitel, you know, like he, you know, it, it worked, you know, it's not like he's just looking bored or something like he has in some of the other movies we've yeah. covered. It is a genuinely like nuanced kind of a low key performance. Um, and it makes those, uh, you know, it works well with those other kind of yeah. bigger performances yeah. coming at him. Oh, definitely. But, um, this is where Freddie realizes that cocaine's a hell of a drug as well because like he, he realizes.
Figures at this point. I mean, it's been pretty obvious throughout the movie that Figures is a cokehead, but like Freddy's a bit <laughs> slow to take catch on and he sees some coke on the mirror and he's like, oh, it's my friend a cokehead? Yeah. <laughs> like you can almost read the thought on his across his eyes, kind of like, huh. It has huh. everybody. That's why he's like that. <laughs> So Which the next beg the question, like, did if they're supposed to be best friends, has he just never like because none of them have any shame? <laughs> yeah. You know, the dead guys walking around being like, Hi, I'm not dead to everybody. Yeah, like, that's true. Has re has he really never like done coke around his friend before? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, so this is a really this is a, a moment in the movie that also really throws me off. Like I like I say, I've seen this movie a few times and I remember it throwing me off the, the few times I've, I've seen it, so not seen it in a while. Um, after the rambling analogy about going diagonal, you know, driving to Broadway, whatever, um, we, we get this like like really harsh cut. We, we just cut to like crime happening. Yeah. And it seems like we're cutting into like a flashback, but then we're not cutting into a flashback. We're cutting into something that's happening now um, where this super criminal apparently who is described over the radio as a monster is is fucked up one cop and is now beating up uh, joy uh, and and this random rooftop criminal is played by method man he is in the he is in the film for fucking less than a minute but Yes, Method Man needed to be in this role. I, I will say, I don't think he's a full monster. I mean, he gives him the out. He says, you know, just say you're done. Or say you quit and you can go back to your I, babies and eat Fruit Loops. I thought the implication was that he was a monster, that he had in some way had like superhuman strength or something. Like he'd been given some sort of like super serum or, or something like that. Because like the guy is like, his trouser is ripped, there's blood running down his leg. And then, you know, like Joey's all fucked up and stuff it's just like he's beat up these two cops just um you know just been throwing them about you know so like the you know the, again <laughs> again this could be something that we cover in the the cop land uh, series, that we've series got planned yeah. <laughs> of like the superhuman origin story of method man's character and how he got his superpowers I really just thought he was like a suburban white person's idea of an urban black person yeah <laughs> yeah he pretty much is yeah well yeah. And that's what goes against, so in the beginning, you know, we're kind of showing this very, you know, sprinkled on element of race and these kind of racist cops and the, you know, or systematic racism. And then like it goes to this scene that basically confirms all of the, or tries to confirm all of the elements that it's trying to deny in the beginning, you know, of saying. Well, I, yeah, I mean, that, this is kind of the, one of the weird things because in, in many ways, this is like a, a very liberal anti-cop movie but at the same time like the two guys who get shot in the car at the beginning of the movie and this character are just like i mean they're they're not even they're not they're not like real people like some yeah. of the other people in the movie they're just like characters from hood movies that were around in the 90s you know yeah it's interesting i just saw a movie the other day that i i'm not going to name for a very obvious for a reason that will become very obvious in a second but like um i because I, I needed to kill some time and theaters are mm. open so i was like okay what's a what's a horror movie that's starting now and yeah, so yeah. i went into this thing and i had and I, I think it's the first time i've ever had this thought about a movie or and if it's not i'm just very good at striking them from memory but i was like 
this movie would be misogynist if it were smarter, but it's too stupid to actually be anything. You know, and like Copland is not that. It's not a stupid movie whatsoever. It's just like so filled with ideas. And I I just clicked over to like, okay, this was his second movie. Um, You know, what was his first? And it was heavy. It was about an over overweight sad chef who meets a woman and i guess and like rediscovers the spark of life uh is that so what like it's about huh. um it's definitely about an overweight sad chef and i'm pretty sure huh. like i think like Liv tyler like they meet and uh prove taylor vance is like oh maybe life you know is okay but the idea that like this is mingled's second film mm-hmm. and you look at like okay the editor just did you know signs of the lambs and like it cut reds and philadelphia and like is clearly good at his job you have howard shore doing the score and you have this ridiculous mm-hmm. cast and you have like you know you have all these people and it, it goes back to the earlier thing of like yeah it was just harvey was at like his height so mm-hmm. like it does feel like he just kind of you know he decided like i want the best of everything and it'll work out you know like even the the idea that the 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 director's cut is like 17 minutes longer or whatever it is like he was renowned for you cut 10 minutes out of a movie you cut 15 minutes out like whether it needs it or not every movie needs to be shorter to harvey and yeah yeah, yeah. it does it just kind of you get that smell of like man this is a lot of uh this is this is a lot of arrogance going into this and like james mangle i picture him just like doing his best you know, to try to just keep it on, like try to make what he was interested in making, you know, when he wrote the script and just kind of getting, you know, overruled at like every turn by like, yeah, but like, why would you not have so-and-so? And it's like, but it's, 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 it just, it's taken from him in like a death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I am yeah. now just like so curious to go back and read and like do all the, do all the research that I'm sure you did, Scott, about this. Cause like, mm-hmm. what the hell? It's such an interesting, it's not even a failure, but it's kind of a failure when you think about what it could have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. So Joey is knocked off of a ledge and he's kind of holding on to an antenna. He's about to fall and Ray comes up and he opens the door and sees him. But because one, Joey is kind of talking about, I guess, having a change of heart with everything that's happening with Soldier Boy, or um, Superboy. And then, but I think more so it's because Joey was having an affair with Ray's wife that he then shuts the door and then pretends that it's locked and he's trying to pick the lock. And so all these cops are just waiting as you see Joey slowly you know, falling more and more. They finally break through, go up but by the time they get up to the top, Joey's has fallen what like five or six stories, and he's yeah, dead. That's the end of Joey. And that plot line that was very yeah. important. <laughs> that affair plot line that was kind yeah. of set up and, and mentioned kind of a couple of times. It's like, oh, this is something we should pay attention to. That sly, <laughs> dirty look that Kaitel gives Joey at um, Superboy's fake funeral. And uh, but nah, that's it. That's him yeah. done. Um, and then we we uh, after that we get Joey's funeral, and then like at this stage, this is where like Freddy awakens from his slumber. You know, he he's not taking this shit anymore, and he goes to visit <laughs> Ray at the bar. Now, this must be confusing for you, Craig, who's seen the director's cut. Yes, because. So in this cut, the theatrical cut, this scene 
where Freddy confronts Ray happens about an hour and eight minutes into the movie. The scene where Freddy goes to confront Ray at the bar uh, in the in the director's cut happens about an hour and 23 minutes into the film after Freddy has already picked up Murray. Because Mur- Murray is kind of briefly, we've briefly seen Murray as aka Superboy turn up at Freddy's house, but he runs away because he sees figures. And um, but so at this stage, Freddy does not have Murray. But yeah, it, in the director's it's... cut, he does. And this is where he confronts him. Yeah, so and this must be very confusing for you. It, yeah, it was because it feels uh, well, at least for me watching it, because I've I can't remember besides this time right now watching the theatrical cut that the it feels like the tone completely shifts or the, the momentum because by the time he's confronting Ray, you have that and then you instantly get into that final like stretch right afterwards from my um, from how I viewed it. But watching it this time, yeah, it's kind of like he has this conversation, but then a bunch of other stuff still has to kind of happen before they get to that point. Yeah, it's just tonally and it feels weird. Yeah. And then so there's a moment as well, because this like feels like Stone's kind of hero moment. So uh, there is a moment where Ray says, who the fuck do you think you are? Now, in the director's cut, does he say, I am the sheriff? Because it feels like that's what it's kind of setting up for. Uh, but then it just like zooms into his face. He does like a kind of growly face, and then we cut to him coming up the stairs of the sub New York subway. Yeah, he says, "I I am the sheriff." When I remember, and yeah, I don't know. Again, it just it it works better, even with the ending. I know there's a an extra scene in the theatrical cut, from what I remember. It's like a little tag on tag scene at the end, but okay. yeah, I th- I think it works. You, yeah, right. yeah I you think, think it, it works better the in the director's cut. And I suppose like he has more leverage because he actually so in as i understand it in the director's cut he has murray he explicitly tells ray that he is taking murray to the ia offices at six o'clock in the morning because let's remember this is a western and uh yeah so that's how it kind of works in the director's cut yeah okay cool i mean talk about the version that doesn't i mean like it still it still works (laughs) as a scene like you know it's still like you know again as you know it's another one of the movies act offs and you know like raise little speech about like why they created this town and obviously it's tinged with heavy racism of like you know well, it's safer here you know us all the white folk together kind of thing you know yeah that's no it's it's good, good speech and you know like when he's he's dressing freddie down and he's, he's saying he's not thinking that his plan is that that of a boy you yeah. know like um it's, it's still work it's still a good scene I mean, I can see how it works better in the director's cut, but it's still a decent scene. And what I never get to is that in that scene, when he's being kind of, when they're confronting each other, you see Janine Garofalo just in the back, like hanging out with all of the kind of, I guess the, not the bad cop, well, yeah, the bad cop, like she's just kind of there. Yeah. Throughout everything we've witnessed prior, she has really no reason to want to associate with them. (laughs) But, because uh, in all the scenes yeah. that we've seen her interact with them, she, she has been patronized and yeah. given sexist remarks put towards her way. Yeah, yeah, that that little thing. Yeah, so it seems. But then after that, yeah, after that, we like again, you know, this film and it's like just 
stuffing you know itself with every actor you know uh like you know we find out that Edie Falco's character is part of the bomb squad that becomes sort of important to the plot but again you know like hardly any lines in the movie she's in it for two scenes but yeah we needed Edie Falco for this <laughs> and Freddie uh, goes to visit Mo uh, in his uh, internal affairs offices but Mo is not best impressed is he not Adam no <laughs> No, he is not. He almost looks annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> he he cares more that the what the deli miss forgot the napkins. <laughs> so, I I do love those little moments of like business for the actors are just like I mean it's it's such a like law and order thing of just like oh yeah we can't just talk about like the dead body or you know the the, the crime that's happening or what the the actual point of the scene there always has to be this like little like ah but like what about ah deal with this oh the napkins why don't they give us napkins it's such a it's such a wonderful little just like business for the actor that's yeah. Yeah. very strange to me but kind of a delight sometimes i love the the nonchalance of de niro in this scene like when when freddie is giving this kind of heartfelt plea of like you know, like you, you came and you gave me this big speech about, you know, what to do and, you know, like uh, to be a cop, to be a real cop and all that. And like, then he just goes like, yeah, that was like two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. He's so just like, oh man, I don't even remember that. That was oh, so much happens in two weeks. <laughs> it's just like, oh yeah, that all that morality and all that kind of big, big pep talk. It was like, yeah, I mean... A fortnight's a long time, you know. I'm over it now, basically. You know. <laughs> yeah. uh, corruption <laughs> does what corruption does. Uh, you know, fuck him. <laughs> right. yeah. I mean, it is the NYPD, so he probably does have other corruption going on. But he has yeah, that's job. true. <laughs> it's like, remind me which one this is. Oh, yeah. it's the guy that's not dead. Right. <laughs> that, is, that is true. But it's like just his responses to everything because Freddie's like just trying to convince him, being like, but what about the death of Joey Rondon? Fuck Joey Rondon. But what about Ray? Yeah, fuck Ray. You know, like, yeah. at this stage, he's given, he just doesn't give a shit or he appears not to give a shit yeah. in front of Freddie anyway. <laughs> to get him to actually do something <laughs> because he's just using him to make a mess so he can get kind of what he wants. So he's yes. not even that good of a person cop either yeah none of these none of these guys okay again it is a movie about like how all cops are bad but from a perspective of like yeah but we need them you know it's it's very much that like you know well you you want to defund the police until you have to call them for you know for help and it's like none of us are advocating no laws or no law enforcement we just want them to like be better at what it says on the car (laughs) we want them to actually protect and serve and not just like think it's funny (laughs) you know uh yeah it is it's fascinating yeah again would uh, you like to know more let's make a show (laughs) (laughs) would you like to know more backstory isn't everyone (laughs) oh i i love this plot contrivance as well like um after freddie kind of storms out you know it's it's keep making points about these movies about about this movie about all its kind of deficiencies i should point out that uh, we all i mean like i i like the movie craig likes the movie i think you kind of like the movie too adam i do yeah we all like the movie it just like you know it's it just does have these these deficiencies i i think we're kind of being hard on it because i think this is a very good film that could have been a masterpiece but it's not because of the deficiencies we are talking about well and we 
uh, I know the episode will be next week for the for the people listening but talking about the ronin one we had the same issue where like the movie just watching it as a viewer fun and it's good but then going in it for the sake of this podcast where you're kind of going scene by scene and really analyzing it you're like well here are the issue <laughs> it's also just not like a it's not a fun movie it's yeah not, it's it's a yeah, hard movie true. to celebrate you know and <laughs> you your point scott just reminded me of like yeah we had a review like not too long ago where uh, of a ghost waits where somebody was like all they did was talk about what they didn't like about it and then in the end it was like three of five I'm like wait a second like <laughs> i thought you hated this thing and then, you know it's like but it is it's so easy i think it's easier to like kind of focus on like oh i i wanted you know like i wanted it to be better it could have been better there's evidence that it could have been better but this is what happened you yeah. know and it yeah and especially with one like this that's you know, uh, slightly dour, you know, yeah, it's just a hard movie to celebrate because, and I mean, yeah, there's this great cast, but like none of them, like, or not none of them, but like very few of them get like really fun moments where you're just like, oh, Harvey Keitel being a badass Harvey Keitel or, you know, like that kind of stuff. Like, and that's not to say that there aren't good moments, you know, or good character beats, but it's just like, there's never that just like, ah, that's like, that's what I'm here for. (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh i know i know what you mean i think like in terms of that there is a couple of moments that a couple of the actors get i think in terms of like uh something to really sink their teeth into just like kaitel gets raised kind of monologue in the bar which he really shows off that he's the boss and uh you know like leota gets his weird fucking diagonal metaphor and just really <laughs> goes at goes at that and he gets a, oh, a, a Leota is great this entire movie. <laughs> yeah no no Leota gets the like, best uh, thing in this movie. <laughs> yeah Leota gets a you know like a bunch he gets he gets the most fun moments of anyone. Um, they didn't send him uh, napkins for the for the scene but he eats it anyway. Yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll give this Leota well I don't know about Leota now but he shows up for the paycheck every time yeah yeah, yeah. i it, that's funny because i did i like when we were talking about him before i was like oh yeah like what is he doing these days like is he I on a cbs know. show or something i haven't seen him in forever you know like dude comes to play he definitely <laughs> does he definitely does uh, but yes, I was going to mention before we end off on yet another tangent. Um, <laughs> I, I was going to mention uh, one of my favorite plot contrivances in the movie, where like Freddie just so happens to walk past very convenient files just lying around about the case, about like uh, profiles on everybody in the town, you know, Ray and uh, all the other characters, basically. And he takes the most crucial apparently the most crucial ones are right on top out of all of these stacks of files yes the most important ones are just right there in the most uh, plain sight you know but the, th- this seems like um th- this would be like a, a like a rallying point in the movie where freddy really becomes the hero and everybody gets behind him and then but nobody really gets behind them like the deputies don't want, really want anything to do with it deputy bill's a bit like well i don't really want to do police work and uh Deputy Cindy is very much like, you know what? I've seen the corruption in this town. I don't like it, 
but I don't want to join your fight against it because it's just going to be too much paperwork for me. So I want to get <laughs> transferred back to upstate New York where apparently nothing happens and I was very happy with my life. And I don't know why I transferred here in the first place. Should have been added. Cindy yeah. very much does not want to know more. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we get the whole bit with Liz too, where you think, I mean, again, when we talked about we're a normal this would be a normal moment where they'd finally talk about their love for one another. But no, it's like they're at dinner and she's just kind of scolding him and telling him to stop putting his nose where it doesn't belong and that she doesn't care again why Joey died. It doesn't matter. The only one that cares about opening all this up is him. Yeah. And slightly before that, we get a random scene at the fair. This just seems to be oh, yeah. a bit of foreshadowing that, you know, Freddie might seem a bit slow-witted and, and might be a bit of a rubbish cop, but he actually is much, he's actually really a sharpshooter. Which is such an interesting comment. Like, oh, I know he's not like, you know, quick on the uptake and all this stuff, but he can shoot. He can shoot things. Like, is that what we want him doing? Is that, <laughs> is that the highest calling? Yeah. What, what an interesting thought <laughs> or idea. Oh, where did he learn to shoot like that? Do you want to know more? <laughs> I learned it from watching you, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, so as much as I, I think that, that final showdown, the shootout, is great, I think, you know, with... Oh, yeah. Um, I we'll mean, classic Western song. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get into it more, but there is that point where based on everything up until this moment and kind of how the movie is trying to be... I don't know. It feels like it should have ended without it. I don't know. In, a, I guess, a smarter way. But mm. ending it with the violence, again, is one of those things that then goes against the whole kind of notion it's trying to create in the opening in a way i don't know hard to <laughs> explain it's true although like yeah i mean like yeah, mangle clearly envisioned this as as a western so like yeah. it, it makes sense in terms of mangle's vision of this movie that we'd end in a shootout yeah yeah and it is a cool i mean like yeah the whole like firing the gun right next to his good ear so that it takes place in that like muffled you know or muted kind of yeah like it is a good idea and uh, but we do have to discuss just a yes. couple more things before we we get to that that shootout, including we wrap up you know the great mystery of uh, whether Figgis's house was burnt down by Jack or it was burnt down by Figgis uh, for the insurance money, and it turns out it was burned down by by Figgis because like when Deputy Cindy quits. And she kind of suggests that, like, oh, Figgis probably burnt it down for the insurance money. Yeah, I, I think you're supposed to have an audience member being like, of course he didn't. Like, Jack definitely did it. And then you're like, oh, no, he, he did. He, right, okay. No, he, yeah. did, he, did <laughs> he did do that. And, like, um, and it just kind of drops in of, like, oh, he's, he's got a check for $198,000. Oh, he definitely did it for the insurance money. Fair, yeah. fair enough. Oh, his burning it down led to the murder of his wife. But yet they don't really, Freddie doesn't really acknowledge that part. It's, you know, then Oh, it's, yeah, yeah, it's that whole, like, you, you didn't know Monica was in there, right? Like, yeah. I mean, you're just committing arson and insurance fraud, not murder, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that steps over a line in terms of the friendship. Like, I yeah. can be friends 
with somebody who committed insurance fraud and arson, but I can't be a friend with somebody who committed insurance fraud, arson, and premeditated murder. <laughs> That's just too far, man. <laughs> but Figgy leaves, and then yeah. he we get his great line where he's yelling at himself in the mirror. <laughs> oh man, that's so good. Where he's just like staring at himself in the, the rear view mirror, and he's just like, "Stop it, stop." I love. I did. I really like that. Just like stopping on the highway, like oh, I guess you gotta turn around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a highway, but yeah. <laughs> and I love how they film it with just a, I'm staring at myself and they're staring back at himself from the from the rearview mirror as if his consciousness was his his conscience was like a separate character. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like fuck you, <laughs> making me being oh god, making me feel things and uh, I have to have some sort of moral code. Okay, I'm gonna turn the car around. Yeah. <laughs> nobody makes me feel my own feels <laughs> but during that time too uh, freddie is able to find out where superboy is at thanks to talking to his aunt because he said he's basically the only one that can save him to her that's the only way, way she's convinced yeah. Yep. yeah yeah and that's the last time kathy moriarty's in the movie yeah. no she's in a, a screaming at the end that's it. holding a dog. Oh yes, right. No, no, that's 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 a fair point. That's a fair point. She, yeah, she is. Yeah, she is. Um, but she didn't. Right. Yep. No. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. And, um, Superboy is in the the water tower with a bunch of cans of Campbell's soup. And, yeah, and that's where he's been hanging out, <laughs> which makes even more sense why he would then confront Ray after that fact, because you watch. Um, Cindy, it's basically he gets him. You watch Cindy leave, and then for Freddie to then come in, you see Cindy in the background, like she's left and she's just having a drink before whatever. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah, it makes a lot more sense that yeah, okay. having the final kind of confront, yeah, confrontation. Fair enough. Fair enough. I I can I can see that. I can see how you, like the, the director's cut like probably uh, fills in a few gaps of of what we've been. Kind of talking about in terms of characters um filling in more gaps and character relationships and um yeah I, I feel like um reading about the director's cut and where the scene is placed in the movie i think uh, probably does make a little bit more sense in fact he's already got murray in, and then he you know he lays it on ray that that's his plan to take him to take him in in the morning uh yeah. so um so yeah, although I, again, it still kind of doesn't make sense that you know, like Freddie knows how corrupt he is to like tell yeah. him. <laughs> uh, but anyway, moving on from that, and then we get racist, useless Bill, <laughs> who is like he suddenly remembered his pregnant wife that we've never heard about before. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, like uh, my wife, uh, she's just. I think she's just, I, she's just found out she's pregnant. I think, yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a true story. Um, I, I'd love to help, but uh, yeah. <laughs> My wife, wife that I definitely have, isn't it? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't, you, you wouldn't know her. She's in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah in our mini series, in our Cotland Mary series, we definitely have an episode on what a shithead Deputy Bill is. <laughs> Just a it's, currently I mean, it's the show that nobody is clamoring for. We no, have I to don't. do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, just us? Just us? You want to know more? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway, Craig, how are we going? Okay, so it becomes morning. He loads up his shotgun. He's taking Murray or Superboy out to the car. And then instantly, Jack and Frank come up and they basically take Superboy, throw him into a car. And what Frank says, don't worry. Freddy is not going to kill you. And then, yeah, he says, don't shit yourself. Yeah. Not gonna, uh, Jack's not going to kill you. And then Jack asks which is his good ear and then fire yeah fires the the pistol right next to it and they drive off back up to ray's house as we get you know one of those essential stallone's yells that he does <laughs> and it's gonna lead to the i guess the, the best scene in the whole movie and i mean overall yeah as we've talked about throughout it's a very good kind of western like showdown yeah so like it and I mean it is. It's really it's really well shot, and it's just um it's this kind of disorientating scene because you're supposed to feel what Freddy's feeling. So basically, the soundtrack is now you know there's not a score. There's just like the sound of tinnitus basically, and and yeah, it's just really well done. And um, like Freddy uh, has a shootout with Jack and Frank. Um, he he shoots Frank. And we think Frank's dead, um, and then he shoots Jack, and Jack is dead, and then Frank is not dead, and he, he tries to, you know, sneak up and kill Freddy. But Freddy, as, as we've established all of ten minutes ago, Freddy's uh, Freddy's a, a real sharpshooter, so he manages to shoot Frank, and Are, then isn't, isn't it um, Figgit or no, no, somebody. Or like, oh, he shoots. Yeah, never mind. Yeah, yeah. No, so um, so Ray appears at the window. And yeah. Is is about it? It seems like he's about to shoot out the window, and then, and then uh, Figus, Figus shoots the window, or maybe or, Figus no, does shoot Frank, the and then other, shoots at the window. The other guy, um, or Leon, which one? Somebody else shoots um, Freddie in the arm after the first two are killed that's right i'm pretty then, sure that that looks well like he kills the first two and then yeah 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 but like freddie gets shot in the shoulder um and then and then figus comes back on the scene because he's, yeah. he's suddenly gained the conscious and uh yeah and then they follow like ray upstairs yeah i think it's leo i think it's yeah, leo yep um is is who who shoots uh freddy in the shoulder and figish kills and, and and saves saves um freddy from i think that's yeah, yeah. because like yeah because like um, freddy kills frank because he like turn turns around and shoots him through the car window before um frank can kill him through the other car window <laughs> <laughs> and then um this is so very they, important adam yeah. to get the geography of this <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, i mean mangle does the you know, it's a good like shows you know he shows freddie kind of spot him in the rearview mirror and like say what he's like it's well done it's just it's just it's just funny to hear recounted yeah. <laughs> i don't know why i just laughed <laughs> 
it's so it is kind of funny to, to, to hear it actually this is a riveting podcast thing i'm i'm, I'm yeah. sure or i hope it is oh man well, if you've made it to this craig part of the saying, episode like, well done it's like you know craig was saying like oh he, he shoots out the window and like i i knew that like yeah like ray is going to like shoot out the window yeah. but then like uh, you know, but yeah, like then Figus actually shoots out the window in yeah. a different way, sense of like shooting the window and breaking the glass. But yeah. it was just like I just watched us kind of like hit upon like, wait, does that not mean what I think it means? Like it does. <laughs> what am I saying? Just, yeah. It was very funny to me. Ah, <laughs> uh, you don't go on Broadway to drive to Broadway, you know. It's just I mean, like uh, it's not... I want to know more. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's, oh. so freddie follows him in and he's going up the stairs and he comes in and that's where he sees superboy escaping again and that's where um yeah she's with the dog on her bed yeah yeah and ray is about to shoot him and kill him but figus fires and misses yeah and misses but that gives because he can hear it very slightly um, Freddy's able to turn around and shoot Ray, and then Ray mutters something, but like Freddy says, I "Can't hear you, Ray." Yep, it's art. Which was... <laughs> After every cut, yeah. I will I never be able you, to watch this film again without the every at the end of every scene, like just being jumping at my chair. But it's art. Yeah, <laughs> I can't hear you, Ray. Yeah. Get get it it's a it's a metaphor (laughs) (laughs) you don't have any sway here anymore yeah Oh dear! Now, I, now I want Gene Garofalo to come back at the end of the movie, just like, see, it was within you all along. <laughs> now I can be here. <laughs> that's if you do. That's if you actually stop people being a patronizing sexist assholes towards me. <laughs> oh, we we couldn't get them to grow as people, so we shot them, and now it's better. <laughs> oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> well. And I like to. I'd, I'd love if Cindy just came back into this scene and just been like, "Well, this is going to be so much paperwork. This is exact reason I'm going back upstate. <laughs> this shit doesn't happen in Montauk." And I like how like, it becomes this thing, especially as we get to the end, where like, he takes him into the the IA because that's going to now solve everything and finally bring all these men to justice. And I keep always thinking to myself of. But he killed all of them. What point does it matter? Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, does, does this end with him going to jail? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to all those guys? Oh, I killed all them. Yeah, yeah. That's, not, that's not a problem. Oh, what? <laughs> what? Wait, is that wrong now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, he cleaned up the team frontier style. This is a Western, so, like, it, it flies. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's, it's okay. Just works on those rules. He is the sheriff of the town, sheriff rules, and uh, yeah, he cleaned it up and all by those... murdering everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and all those New York cops, as he's bringing Superboy in, are just like right up on him. <laughs> they are yes. not giving personal space. I know, like I like watching that. I was just like, is this supposed to be like they're all like 
mad at him. Yes, yeah, so like, I think that's what it's supposed to be. They're all like baying for his blood. They're all like they don't want them to bring in uh, Superboy. But it. But then none of them actually do anything. Yeah. No, they just kind of paw at him and just kind of cajole yeah. him a bit, kind of push him around a bit. But like they don't. Like, oh, there's no like punches thrown. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is a scene when you're watching it that you feel like somebody's gonna get shot. Yeah. Or something, but then nothing happens. <laughs> Yeah, they just like come at him in a really kind of hissy, per- per- passive aggressive way. It's just kind of like, mm, this feels kind of odd, but okay. And then, like you say, like, uh, you know, talking about the differences from the director's cut. So the movie does kind of end weird in that yeah. we get this. So we get this other narration from Mo. So we're like, oh, we're kind of closing how we opened, you know, like, yeah. so, and then once. Mo's narration ends you're like well end credits will appear but then end credits don't appear we just get like these wandering shots of the New York skyline yeah <laughs> and that you know they kind of go on and you're like oh, okay so we're getting a, a so we're, we're now signifying we're definitely getting another scene because we're not just going to end with these wandering shots are we and then we do get another scene that just feels real tacked on of just being like uh Freddy is just looking out, you know, over the river, you know, across the, the George Washington Bridge and just plaintively. Uh, and then Deputy Bill, who I, I don't know, I think we're supposed to kind of like for some reason, even <laughs> though he has been a, just a cowardly racist asshole the whole movie. But, um, you know, like uh, the friendly relationship he's always had with Deputy Bill. Deputy Bill calls for him and he's like, oh, you all right? And it's like, yeah, I'm all right. And then, yeah, they drive like, away, Freddie and that. Deputy Bill, to solve more crime, I suppose. Catch yeah, some of that, those speedsters again. And that was in, because that's the first time I've seen that part. Because right. I always, every time I've watched it, it always ends. It works well, like at this book ending, because you get the narration and then it just goes and it fits. Oh, okay. So it does end in the natural, logical point yeah. of where it should end. It doesn't have Sorry, that kind of whatever scene where Bill comes up and says a car got T boned and we need mm. to go get it. I don't know. Go ch- check it out. <laughs> For the continuing adventures of Deputy (laughs) Bill and Sheriff Red. Hey, thanks for taking care of all that corruption and killing all those people. Want to come with me? There's a car accident. (laughs) 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 Sure, a cop's work (laughs) is never done. (laughs) Oh, and that's it. We've covered it. We've done it. We did it. Oh, my God. That is the end of Cotland. Do either of you have any final thoughts before we go out? No. Cool. <laughs> Craig. <Are> you... <laughs> uh, we're running long, well, so we gotta keep it short. So it's either a no or a <laughs> it's, it's uh would anybody like to know more? <laughs> exactly. Um so before we're gonna have footnotes. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, yeah. Check the show notes for all the references and footnotes and uh, <laughs> other <laughs> other documentation that was made. All the, the thoughts we couldn't fit into an <laughs> a, a hundred and fifty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, before we, before we really do finish this episode, do you want to give any quick plugs or tell people where you're at on the internet, Adam? Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, as I mean, unless this is like a totally new audience, uh, you know, I'm on Twitter at Adam Stovall, uh, A-D-A-M-S-T-O-V-A-L-L, on Instagram at not Adam S. And uh, the movie, uh, our movie, A Ghost Waits, is available on VOD. It is available. Uh, there's a special edition Blu-ray that Arrow put out um, that you can buy wherever you buy Arrow Blu-rays. Um, and I look forward to telling you about more stuff soon that I'm working on, but isn't really at a place where it can be talked about yet. Um, yeah. And Craig, do you want any last words? Um, just uh, tell people where you're at as well. Oh, um, like normal, you can find me at Craig Dram, D-R-A-H-E-I-M on Twitter um, or Instagram or really any of those places. And yeah, besides that, nothing new, just doing the podcast and going to talk about Kurt Russell next. <laughs> yeah. Kurt Russell coming up next. Uh, so, yes, um, you can hit us up on Twitter at 90s underscore all. Um, if you want to, if you have enjoyed this episode or any of our episodes, then please do rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, you know, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you do review the show, please remember to give the show five stars because anything less than that means the algorithm thinks that we are terrible. So, like, if it's four stars, you can stick it up your ass because it's five <laughs> stars or nothing, you know? That's it. I'm sorry. That's the way these algorithms work. But anyway, that's all for this time. Please be sure to join us next time when we will be doing the bonus episode for this. Um, we, In fact, we will be doing uh, two bonus episodes because we will be doing a much, much shorter episode where we will be giving our end of season awards. And then next again, we, we will uh, have our episode on Ronin. And then in four weeks time after that, we will be starting our Kurt Russell season. But this episode definitely now has to end. So until next time, Time. See oh, ya. Hey, one more.